Pablo Escobar, El Patron. When you hear the name of Pablo Escobar, one thing comes to mind, cocaine. Medellin, Colombia became a place infamous for hosting one of the world's most recognizable cartels and many that came after it. A beautiful country with limited resources, one man was determined to rise out of poverty, even if it meant destroying the place he loved so dearly. Pablo Emilio Escobar Gaviria was born on December 1st, 1949 in Rio Negro, Colombia. A young Pablo moved to Medellin in the 1950s with his family in hopes for a brighter future and more opportunity. Medellin in the mid-1900s was a growing city and became the second biggest city in Colombia next to the capital, Bogota. Pablo's mother pushed education, but the youngster had no interest in his studies. At 14 years old, Pablo was involved in a gang, which resulted in Pablo getting expelled from school. Pablo and his friends from the gang would commit petty crimes to get money, and Pablo's activities landed him in a Colombian jail for the first time. The stint was short-lived, and Pablo became more clever at committing crimes. Pablo was involved in Grand Theft Auto and participated in kidnappings for ransom. Pablo would then become a marijuana smuggler, and his need to get rich quickly prompted him to smuggle cocaine as well. It was alleged that Griselda Blanco introduced Pablo to the cocaine trade, and he took off from there. Pablo, at 26 years old, would meet a young 15-year-old girl named Maria Victoria, who went by Tata, and the two would marry and have two children, Juan and Manuela. The demand for cocaine in the 70s rose due to the disco era, which involved a lot of partying. Other drugs such as LSD, heroin, and PCP were also in high demand. This created an immediate need for cocaine in North America. South America was one of the main hubs for creating and molding the cocaine, which by the late 1970s became a billion dollar business. Pablo and his cousin Gustavo Gaviria wasted no time in meeting the demand for cocaine, and they were determined to move large quantities at a time. In 1976, Pablo and his team were attempting to move 18 kilos of cocoa paste when authorities pulled them over and proceeded with the rest. Pablo's first trick was to bribe the officers, and when they refused to participate, Pablo tried to have them killed. Because of his murder attempt on the officers, the authorities dropped the charges out of fear of more retaliation against the department. This was one of the first examples of how far Pablo's anger would take him when his back is against the wall. Gustavo and Pablo would create a distribution network that propelled them into riches. Two individuals by the name of Carlos Lader and George Young were contributing to adding hundreds of millions to the Medellin cartel in a way that would change the organization permanently. Carlos had been a car thief and also smuggled marijuana while George was running an operation which brought marijuana to California directly from Mexico. After the marijuana reached California, George and his associates would then ship the marijuana over to New England where they spiked up the price and sold it for way more than they purchased. George and Carlos would connect at Danbury Prison in Connecticut forming a plan to smuggle cocaine once they got on the outside. After the men were released from prison, 
they began to smuggle cocaine from Colombia, using the Caribbean as a route, which led straight to the U.S. Pablo would hire the duo in order to further expand his operation in the U.S. and to stay on top of the growing cocaine business. The imported cocaine would enter through Florida and hit Miami first. During that time, in the late 70s, Carlos would buy property in Norman's Cay, a Bahamian island which would become Carlos's cocaine headquarters. Norman's Cay's location was the perfect hub between Colombia and the United States. Fabio used force to maintain control of Colombia. He built a team of men who would kill on demand for him and the organization. The Medellin cartel was Pablo's idea of creating a coalition of the most powerful drug kingpins in South America. The leaders of the Medellin cartel alongside Pablo was Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha, the Ochoa brothers Fabio, George, and Juan, and Carlos later. It was at this time that Gustavo truly began to create the distribution routes, so every man in the cartel got his piece. The Medellin cartel created peace amongst the men involved and their organizations. Pablo's most trusted hitman was John Vasquez, known as Popeye, Dandini Mascara, known as La Kika, George El Negro Pabon, and Carlos El Arret Alizate. In 1981, a man by the name of Barry Seal would contribute to the growing billions of the Medellin cartel as long as he got his cut. Barry Seal had access to planes, and just as George Young, Barry imported marijuana to the U.S. from Mexico. These accessible planes flew at a radar so low, it couldn't be detected by American airspace. Barry understood the popularity of cocaine in American cities and pivoted towards importing that drug instead. Barry would fly the cocaine to Louisiana in a rural area, drop the cocaine off from the plane, in which his ground team would go for the cocaine and ship it to Miami, as well as the other cities on the East Coast, which was connected to the Medellin cartel. In 1983, trouble awaited Barry, and he was indicted by the DEA. In exchange for his cooperation, the DEA protected Barry, and he became a confidential informant. Barry provided extensive information on Pablo and the cartel. A picture Barry Seal orchestrated in taking showed him, Pablo, George Ochoa, and a Nicaraguan official loading up his plane with cocaine. This picture was used by then-President Ronald Reagan in an attempt to gain financing for the U.S. Contra War, which he ended up getting. Pablo found out about Barry's involvement in further exposing his operations and had him murdered in 1986. Pablo branded himself as a Robin Hood figure in Colombia, building a church, feeding and housing the homeless, providing financial assistance for those in the community who were struggling, fixed up the main roads in Medellin, dressed up as Santa Claus to give gifts to children, financing Colombia's football teams, and controlling who came in and out of the neighborhoods for safety. Aside from Pablo's philanthropy, he was also flamboyant and was persistent in living a lavish lifestyle. Pablo purchased over 20 square kilometers of land in Porto Chifuno, east of Medellin, 
It was there that Pablo built his grand estate, Hacienda Napoles. Hacienda Napoles had a lake, sculpture garden, a free zoo for people to visit, as well as luxury cars and bikes. Pablo loved animals and imported elephants, ostriches, exotic birds, giraffes, ponies, antelope, and last but not least, hippos. Pablo's hippos to this day have been fruitful, and they are projected to reach in the population range of 400 within the next few years. There were stash houses that was bought by the Medellin cartel for the sole purpose of hiding cash. These homes were often luxurious and hard to find as Pablo was making up to $60 million a day and $20 billion annually. Pablo not only had his hands importing cocaine to America, he also had his cocaine imported to Europe, using Spain as an entry point. President Jimmy Carter in 1979 signed an extradition treaty with Colombia through his relationship with Julio Cesar Turbe Ayala to bring any Colombian dealer who trafficked drugs to the United States to trial and imprisonment in the United States. Imprisonment in the United States meant a life sentence and away from all immediate family. Imprisonment in Colombia meant freedom, corruption, and easy access to resources in order to continue business. Extradition scared the cartels in Colombia, and Pablo was disgusted at the idea of possibly dying in an American prison. The cartel responded to extradition with violence and kidnappings in an attempt to get the Colombian government to retract the treaty. This treaty came into effect in 1982. Pablo had high aspirations for himself outside of drug trafficking and chose to get into Colombian politics to not only pursue his dreams, but to infiltrate and have influence over the extradition laws. Pablo stood as a candidate for the Colombian Liberal Party, and after a strong campaign, Pablo won a seat in the Chamber of Representatives in March of 1982. Pablo becoming a political figure in Colombia brought problems to the Medellin cartel. His life was now in the public eye more than ever before, and he posed a risk to the government as they had a powerful drug kingpin with a seat at the table. Pablo received negative feedback from media outlets in Colombia, who constantly questioned his origins of wealth and his affiliates. During this time, Pablo formed an adulterous relationship with Virginia Vallejo, a popular Colombian journalist who was the first to conduct a one-on-one -on -one interview with Pablo. Their relationship was made known to Tata, who resented Pablo and temporarily kicked him out of their home. Pablo and Virginia's relationship would continue throughout the 80s and come to an end in 1987. Pablo still remained married to Tata and eventually moved back home during this time as well. With a seat at the Chamber of Representatives, Pablo continued to keep up with his Robin Hood persona to gain the support of the people from Medellin as he combated extradition while inside Congress. Belisario Betancourt, the 26th president who represented the conservative party, despised Escobar's influence and began to publicly denounce Pablo in 1983. Betancourt chose Rodrigo Lara Bonilla as his minister of justice to further investigate the Medellin cartel and other cartels in Colombia. Pablo became the focus. The government's goal was to discredit Pablo and get him out of Congress immediately, 
A journalist from El Expectador, Guillermo Cano, remembered seeing Pablo's mugshot in 1976 and sought out to destroy Pablo's reputation in politics and began investigations on his drug empire. The article of Pablo's mugshot was published and copies of the paper circulated throughout Colombia. Pablo had his sicarios attempt to buy all the newspapers they could, but even with that strategy, they couldn't stop the news. Pablo's mugshot was all the Colombian government needed to banish him from their headquarters. Pablo was forced to resign, and forfeiting his position broke his heart. This was the beginning of the end for the Medellin cartel. Following Pablo's resignation, he became more violent and grew to fear extradition even more since his political immunity to the treaty was lifted. Pablo's answer to his uncertainties were to kill his enemies, including those in government. A year after Pablo's exile, Rodrigo Bonilla was riding in a car with his bodyguard, and Pablo Sicarios pulled up next to them while riding a yellow Yamaha motorcycle. The passenger behind the driver was Ivan Dario Gusado. Ivan pulled out his Uzi submarine gun and killed Bonilla along with his bodyguard. Bonilla's murder was Pablo declaring war on the Colombian government, and the damage which would soon unfold would change the course of history forever. Pablo's actions pushed Congress to solidify the extradition treaty even further. The heat was beginning to come down on Pablo, so he and his family relocated to Panama temporarily, and then Nicaragua. Upon returning to Colombia, Pablo affiliated himself with the 19th of April movement, known as M-19. M-19 were against the extradition treaty with the United States because they believed the treaty was a stain on Colombia's national sovereignty. On November 6, 1985, over 30-plus M-19 members took over the Palace of Justice in Bogota, in which they took over 300 people as hostages, with the Supreme Court judges included in that amount. During the raid of the palace, large quantities of files and documents concerning the cartels was destroyed in a fire by M-19, easing the pressure that began to fall in the cartels. While Pablo was warring with the government, he had another issue to attend to. His dangerous rivalry with the Cali cartel, ran by the Oriola brothers, Miguel and Gilberto, Jose Londono, and Helmer Pacho Herrera. In the early days of the cartels, Medellin and Cali agreed to split the U.S. market. Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha, one of the leaders of the Medellin cartel, forced his way into New York City a territory that was strictly for Cali. Violence in New York City led to the few which would continue for the rest of Pablo's life. Pablo's wealth was featured in Forbes magazine, and he was recognized as being one of the world's most wealthiest men. Pablo continued to fight for the approval of the people of Medellin by continuing to invest in football clubs, such as Medellin's football team, Atletico Nacional. Atletico Nacional, over the years, will become a title contender. Pablo would import players from other countries, bringing the best talent he could to the club. The team's success further added love and admiration for Pablo in Colombia. Eventually, 
the cartel was pushed out of sports in Colombia, and the pressure of extradition drove Pablo over the edge. Pablo began to commit acts of terrorism in Colombia in an attempt to murder those in government against him and to also send a message. Luis Carlos Galán, a popular presidential candidate who was openly and strongly against Escobar, was gunned down by members of the Medellin cartel as he was gearing up to win the election. Cesar Gaviria Trujillo, who was another candidate aiming for presidency, took the place of Galán as the new representative of Colombia and won the election in 1990. Prior to Cesar winning the election, a murder attempt from Escobar went terribly wrong. On November 27, 1989, Pablo sent one of his top sicarios, La Kika, to plant a bomb on Avianca Flight 203 from Cali to Bogota because he thought Cesar would be on that flight. Cesar changed his mind last minute about boarding that flight, and five minutes after takeoff, the plane exploded. 107 people died instantly, an additional three were killed on the ground from the falling debris. The deaths on Flight 203 destroyed Pablo's image to a point of no return, and the Medellin community began to turn its back on him. A new constitution was created in Colombia in 1991, and the extradition treaty wasn't honored in this new national document. Pablo and the cartel bribed members of the National Assembly to solidify that the extradition treaty wasn't included in the new constitution. In 1991, with the government and the Cali cartel on his back, Pablo decided it would be best for him to surrender to the authorities. Pablo negotiated with Cesar to have his own prison built on the hills of Medellin called La Cathedral. Pablo built the prison with his own money so the people of Medellin wouldn't have to. La Cathedral was a paradise of a prison for Pablo. He was ordered to serve a five-year prison sentence while the Colombian government had to cease efforts to extradite him to the United States. Business continued as usual, which included murders. Geraldo Kiko Mancada and Fernando Galano were tasked by Pablo to run operations on the outside. And although they were happy to receive this position, Pablo placed a heavy tax on their proceeds. After being accused of stealing funds, the duo were summoned to La Cathedral, in which they were tortured and killed on the premises. The death of Kiko and Fernando caught the attention of the press, and coverage began on the true condition of Pablo's prison and how corruption continued during his incarceration. When word of Pablo's activities got out to the public, the Colombian government felt pressure to save face and reprimand Pablo to the fullest extent of the law. Pablo caught wind of the news and escaped La Cathedral through an escape route which was built in case of an emergency. Pablo's escape severed any opportunity he had for further negotiation, and Cesar's government was now willing to work with the United States government to have U.S. officials come to Colombia in order to search or kill Pablo. A division of the U.S. Joint Special Operations Command, known as SEAL Team 6, operated in Colombia, in which their focus was to capture Pablo. Pablo made one last attempt at negotiation by offering to surrender once again, 
in order to serve the rest of his sentence at La Cathedral. The negotiation was turned down by Cesar. The units used to accommodate the SEAL Team 6 was Search Block, a special operations unit from the National Police of Colombia. Pablo's enemies also took part in this search as the Cali cartel continued to hunt for him. Los Pepes, a vigilante group which represented Colombians who lost families at the hands of Escobar, partnered with the U.S. government in an attempt to capture Escobar as well. Pablo tried to have his wife and children sent to Germany to find refuge, but the Colombian government contacted German officials and stopped the family from entering the country. For a year and a half, Pablo remained on the run, uncertain but very accepting of his fate. Pablo was quoted saying, rather a grave in Colombia than a cell in America. His slogan, Plata al Plomo, would soon reflect on the controversial figure as he would meet lead in the end. Pablo's phone usage was able to get him tracked as he was hiding out with his last remaining Sicario, El Limon. One day after Pablo's 44th birthday, he was found and was killed immediately along with El Limon after they attempted to kill the officers. El Patron was now dead and Colombia who took down the biggest narco-terrorists of all time, would now focus on taking down the Cali cartel. We would like to give a special thanks to our sponsors over at Audible Studios and to every viewer who continues to watch Blood Currency. Hope you enjoy season one. <laughs>